This is Film Tank. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. We're going to make film history. Can you say that again? Just the way you say it. Baby, it's time to lose their head. They won't know what they're looking at, but why they like it, but they'll know they want it. again everyone and welcome in to episode 235 of our little podcast here called film tank as per usual alex diekman here with you along with nick cheney okay that was the uh, that was... you at the dentist office there no that's just nick doing his ron jeremy impression no, that would be. Oh my! No way! That's that sounded weird. That sounded like yeah, like it a... did. It did sound weird. Didn't no, the first one was like my weird alien noise. Ah, uh, okay. I mean, come on, good guys. job. Good job, but act too soft. It's thematic. It's good to be back. Uh it's good to have you, bud. Yeah, of course. So. Now that the three amigos are back together, hey, uh, hey, to do not co-opt other racists. Thank you very much. Oh my God, Alex, continue. Okay, thank you. Uh, Toussaint suggested uh, the film that we are doing on this episode. What was that? I said Lo Siento. <laughs> That's I'm sorry in Spanish. <laughs> you are. Forgiven. Why did you change your voice when you said I'm sorry? Because I was being respectful. <laughs> sure, let's go with that. Let's that go sounds with that. like something Ellen would say in the Hangover movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So anyways, Toussaint suggested we do an episode on the film The Vast of Night. And that's exactly what we are going to do on this episode. Oh boy, pardon me. So, uh, The Vast of Night uh, is technically a 2019 film, although it was just released on Amazon Prime in late May of 2020. And it follows the twilight of, of the 1950s on one fateful night in New Mexico. Young switchboard operator Faye and charismatic radio DJ Everett discover a strange audio frequency that could change their small town and the future forever. So this film was written and directed by Andrew Patterson, who who is pretty much a first-time filmmaker uh, and debuted this film at the Slamdance Film Festival last year. Uh, And obviously uh, Amazon got it, uh, got the rights to it. And the film features Sierra McCormick as Faye Crocker, and Jake Horowitz as Everett Sloan. 
Toshisa, you uh, brought this film to our attention, and Nick was aware of it, but I honestly had no knowledge that this was even a thing. So, uh, if you would, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you want to do this film as an episode, and also give us your first impressions. Yeah, sure. Um, so, I can't remember exactly where I caught wind of this. Like, you know, like, I, um, I follow a couple of, like, cinephiles on, like, Twitter and stuff, and, like... Uh, a couple of um, the websites that I follow actually had, had done coverage for it, and I was like, oh, there's a new like science fiction film. What is this? The Vast of Night on Amazon Prime. And I sort of liked the sort of mood that I got from like the screenshots and some of the writing that I, I saw of it. So I figured, you know, I might as well just give this a shot. Like I had a little bit of time to just like carve out like an evening where I could just like watch it. And... I have to say that I have thought about it a lot in the intervening time since I first watched it. I was going to give it another rewatch, but I wasn't able to find enough time. But uh, I think that this left a deep enough impression with for me, like on an initial viewing, to be able to to talk about it like in more depth. Um, I think it's a very interesting film. I'm not sure if it's a very uh, it's a very it, it, it's 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 a well-done film, but at the same time, I have a hard time squaring all the different parts and pieces of it that actually make up its overall, like, sort of, like, aesthetic gestalt. Um, for instance, like, the idea of the, the sort of framing device of, what is it called? It's, like, a, some type of mystery theater. It's basically just, like, a, like a framing device that invokes, like, Twilight Zone. I probably have um, more opinions on that fake TV show than I do about the movie. It's just as a little preview into my I, crazy brain. <laughs> I am very much looking forward to that uh, because <laughs> that has been, for me, at least one of the most baffling parts that I'm still trying to, like, turn around in my mind overall. Yeah. Like, I really I, I really do like the acting and the, the writing in this film. Like, I, I, if I were to describe it, it's basically like a sci-fi walk and talk drama that's really what it is people are walking they're talking and, and there's some crazy like sci-fi shit afoot um that's just conveniently off camera for most of the time uh, um i love the cinematography i love the lighting in this film i love the sound direct the, the the sound design and another thing like sort of circling back to like the the sort of confluence of the sound design and the cinematography is that and then also wrapping back to the uh, the, the framing device itself. I'm sorry, my, I'm like I'm all over the place. But there's there are a lot of really interesting parts to try to square with with this film that I'm still not entirely sure how it really comes together and whether it overall works. But I liked it, and I like that it went on a limb and like tried something different. Um, I think that what's curious to me is that the framing device is not. It, it doesn't just exist as a as a bookend between the beginning and end of the film, but it actually crops up periodically throughout the film, like in certain like sort of like transitions where it like phases out, and we see the the sort of like uh, visual texture of a, of a CRTV transmission over the actual footage itself, and I'm just I like, that. but but Sorry. here's but here's the I thing. I, yeah, that, that that that's totally fair. Like whichever way, but what? But by foregrounding that, that is something that really makes me sort of like scrutinize like 
what exactly, who, who am I, the viewer, in relation to this work? Like, who is actually watching this film or watching this, like, episode of this, like, paradox theater shit? And, like, is that at all relevant? And I don't know if it entirely is. Um, and then there's, like, the, the periodic points where uh, Everett and uh, uh, Faye are, like, listening to somebody over the radio, like, talk to them and, like, try to, like, recount their sort of stories. And the visuals just sort of, like, drop out. And, and then it's sort of like this surging, like, almost, like, visual static at the bottom of the screen that sort of, like, emulates maybe, like, uh, sound frequencies in a sort of way. And I guess that is sort of the the film sort of hearkening to, like, sci-fi radio serials, which I guess is an interesting experiment. But well, this is definitely not... a radio drama that Dude, for yeah, some reason got my... filmed. You were saying, Alex? Oh, um, I mean, this is just kind of a silly fact, but the fact that the uh, radio station is W O T. Uh, w, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think. Which is uh, apparently totally taken from War of the Worlds. Um, oh, yeah. Whoa! I did, oh, my God. I didn't even include into that. Holy shit. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's awesome. Five fucking uh, stars. But, but it's... Um, there is a couple details that are a little... Uh, 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 it, I'm sorry to r- steal your thunder a little bit. No, uh, no go, go. But um, I... I was just thinking of the weird sort of mythical things that are going on here. And there was the weird um, explanation. uh, And I mean, obviously they're talking about, um, well, they're talking about, they they reference Indians multiple times in the film, specifically about the basketball team that is being played opposite the hometown team. Um, And then the clear uh, almost focusing on the Peter Pan um, radio uh, presentation in the actual radio station, I was just like, holy shit. Uh, then all of a sudden, like, my brain just couldn't stop thinking about how is this movie relating to Peter Pan? And I thought there was actually some other connections there. But, yeah, I just want to go on to that while you were mentioning it too, I'm very curious now to, like, hear you, like, pull on that thread because I didn't get that vibe at all. And I just, like, I feel like there is definitely a lot more about this film, like, underneath the surface of it. But There's certainly some fantasy here, for sure, I think, at least. Yeah. yeah. There's obviously sci-fi, and that is the main genre of this film. But I feel like fantasy is way in on this film. We can... We can all agree that the one shot where it's basically like this uh, this low-level ground, like, zooming camera shot, like, across the entire town and, like, just, like, circles back into uh, the actual auditorium where they're, like, supposed to be, like, preparing for the game. Like, that's the money shot of this film, right? Yeah, it's definitely the centerpiece of its visual bravura, um, considering it's such a talky, you know, flick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's most like visually like dynamic and interesting, uh, like sequence in in the film itself. Uh, I mean, besides like the 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 special effects laid in like finale, here's here's another thing. Like I'm, I'm thinking, this is just like my initial thoughts, just like throwing shit out there. Um, 
So thinking about it sort of like in the, the, the milieu of a, of a faux Twilight Zone episode, and I know that's not what it is. It's 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 paradox theater, but at the same time, like if you're going to have that opening, oh, they like, had uh, the actor that, impersonate Rod Serling, like it, right? It was yeah, right, right. If they're gonna have the actor impersonate Rod Serling and have like it, go to all, all the trouble of having this framing device of like faux like Twilight Zone and have it periodically pop up, I feel like that's fair game to sort of like pick at that and sort of like tease out that thread and i'm just thinking about like if what if this were a twilight zone episode not saying it is but if it were a twilight zone episode like how would it actually like rank among other twilight zone episodes i wouldn't know what to say say with regards to what the the denouement is supposed to mean in relation to like the rest of the film itself like it's just it's 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 kind of confounding in that way, and sort of it just sort of like hangs there for me, and that I, I think is like one of my my chief criticisms of it. I think that there's a lot of stuff that's on the screen. I think that there's a lot of stuff that has meaning, but I'm not sure if it ever truly comes to a satisfying whole. Yeah, and those are my, those are my ending thoughts. So my my opening thoughts. Uh, so. Carry on, gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Nick, do you mind if I? No, oh, yeah. Next, or do you want to go? Nope, go right ahead. Yeah, so I, uh, I'll be honest, I started watching this film yesterday evening, and I will come right out and say it, the first 20 minutes I was totally not feeling in this movie. Like, I was not interested. That's fair. It was not for me. I couldn't get into what this film was doing. I, I knew what it was trying to set up, but at the same time, I was just like, man, I just I just like wanted to go to bed and have a clean slate on this. So I got up really early this morning to watch this before I went to work. So that was a really interesting decision by me. But and it's not a did. long movie. <laughs> it's not, so that helped. Yeah. But I got up at 5.30 this morning to watch this. And I will say... Uh, I didn't love this, but I, I was intrigued by what this film did, uh, and I would definitely watch it again. Uh, I, I thought that a lot of the story in this was was okay, um, and, and the ending was certainly interesting, but also, not, I don't know how much I love it, uh, but... It's the it's the scenes and the conversations and the moments and obviously uh, a lot of the cinematography and other actual effects that Toussaint mentioned that make this film pretty good. But um, the conversation that they have with Billy and then the conversation with the woman at her house uh, are the scenes that make this film. As good as it is, as it is, in my opinion, yeah, I they are, yeah, they are the highlight of this film. That conversation with Billy, when you have a character who is calling into a radio show, even with the content, I mean, fair enough, but he is calling into a radio show. The first thirty to sixty seconds is him saying that he is basically going to be hunted down and executed 
if he ever let anyone know about what he knows. And then as soon as he finishes that sentence, he proceeds to tell them everything he knows, <laughs> at least a lot of it. Um, that was just incredible to me. Just wonderful storytelling, wonderful script writing. Um, and in such a monologue driven way where that character wasn't even on screen, uh, I thought it was wonderful. And yeah. then the scene with the woman uh, in her house talking about her child that was abducted by aliens after her husband left. Um, that was great. This film, uh, it doesn't go hard on it, but man, there is so much this film has to say about racism and sexism, and it is under the current, and it is just letting the rest of the story take place and then feeding into this idea of people not having a voice. And at least in this current climate that we're in, with everything going on with Black Lives Matter and the rest of everything that's happening right now in our country and around the world. Um, there's some shit in this movie that is, is pretty, pretty loud. And, and it is under the surface all the way. Even the way that Everett talks to Faye, um, I don't think Everett's a really good person, uh, to be honest with you. And he's not like a bad guy on the surface. And he's obviously a very desirable person, especially in that era but he's an asshole. So, so he is, interesting. He's a very no. magnetic personality for the fact that oh. he's able to talk fast and think fast, but he's okay. also a fucking asshole. He's, he's a real piece of shit. He is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, again, I, I didn't love this and man, Toussaint, you were saying about the cinematography, um, the scene when Everett and Faye are walking down the middle of the street with the lights hanging above them on the street. Oh Damn, my God. So yes. Good. Yes. Dude, that looks so good. Um, so this is a good film and, and there's a lot to unpack here. I think uh, in a good way, um, but I didn't love this because there was some, some parts of it that I just couldn't really get on board with, but, but this is some good work. And, you know, a first-time filmmaker, a film that was definitely made on a shoestring budget, um, this, is, this is good work, and uh, I applaud that. So, Nick, want to take it away? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think my first statement is going to be echoing your last, which is that, in my opinion, this is a great debut. Not necessarily a great film, but holy shit... Um, this is what you want to see from a first-time filmmaker because you see this is what they were able to do on their first go, you know what I mean, with uh, limited resources and whatnot. And as a display of, I think, uh, Andrew Patterson, yeah, uh, Andrew Patterson's filmmaking, I think it was impeccable, you know. Um, I thought it looked amazing. I thought it sounded amazing. Um, I have some certain... Uh, you know, opinions about some of the choices that were made, but as far as the actual ability to enact those choices, uh, it, it was pretty much untouched, I think. Um, but having said that, there's certainly a lot to talk about in that. I thought most of it was pretty decent, and some of it was extremely questionable. And I think the end result, then, is a facet... Uh, 
excuse me, is a fascinating, <laughs> uh, is a fascinating movie, um, but definitely a mixed bag as far as uh, individual ing- ingredients go. Uh, I'm going to talk. Right the head. Yeah, I'm going to talk really quickly about that framing uh, structure because I think a lot of this movie's, if not issues, uh, I would say at least it's. Uh, uh, threads or a lot of things can basically come back to that initial choice. Um, Please do. And foundationally, I'm very sad to have to report that they made a Twilight Zone knockoff, but they use an Outer Limits script. <laughs> uh, this is oh, not. Oh shit! Uh, and the Outer Limits is a great show, to be fair. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But the Twilight Zone were. Almost Phantom X Gore, whatever fantastical uh, moral parables, you know, and this is more nuts and bolts of just sci fi suspense. And that's what The Outer Limits was, and it did it very well at times. Um, and the fact that it is so, uh, uh, you know, hanging upon that influence that it's, you know, it that it's calling out, it unfortunately does look like the baseball player at home plate pointing at the stands <laughs> and then getting a double. It's like, there was nothing wrong with the double, but you didn't have to point uh, and really kind of shoot yourself in the foot there before you, uh, you know, hit made contact. And for me, the the other problem with that framing structure is that, for me at least, it added absolutely nothing to this movie to the point where I wanted it to shit or get off the pot. I'm okay with a throwback to, you know, 50s, whatnot, doo-wop <laughs> sci-fi television, to the point where if he wanted to shoot this in a 4 by 3 aspect ratio and black and white grainy, I actually think there would have been some interesting uh, technical merit to that. Um, and even if he kept the script as modernized as it kind of was, um, I think there would have been something very interesting to that. But the fact that we only see it not just as bookends, but as these various uh, bumpers in between scenes, uh, it becomes so arbitrary that we're constantly reminded that the reality of what we are watching is technically just a story and sometimes that's useful, and other times that's just confusing. And unfortunately for this movie, I think it's the latter. And I, I think it was aiming for something along the lines of uh, running parallel to the kind of omnipresent watcher, you know, who watches the watcher um, type thing as far as the, you are as the viewer watching something. Uh, that is technically being watched the same way that maybe an alien race, you know, hovers over a planet and watches an entire drama take place. And so it's not so much that I don't understand what maybe they were going for, but it was so inconsistent as to when it wanted to pop up and what the rules were once it pops up. Because sometimes we go full into it where it's you know, remains that black and white. Uh, other times, like Toussaint had mentioned earlier, we have an entire scene where I genuinely had a Sopranos finale night moment where I thought, because it was because it was streaming, I thought maybe Amazon lost the video for about 10 seconds or so because there was just no reason for, I think, for the film to do that. 
I understand that what we're watching is uh, akin to a, uh, a radio drama of the 30s, 40s, and 50s. In fact, it painstakingly sounded like one at times. But if you are going to go that route and try to drive that home, um, unfortunately, this is so much work that looks beautiful at times and is very well acted that makes me say, you know, a podcast would have been a lot cheaper, you know, um, because I would listen to the shit out of that. Um, I guess there have been a lot of high, high quality podcasts that have, uh, like yeah. high production value podcasts that I could totally see. Yeah. This would work. I yeah. No, that. and yeah. That's the thing. It's like, you know, if you want to do it, do it. You know, we're living in the age, buddy, where, uh, we can do it. <laughs> um, and, and having said that though, like I'm probably the one out of the three of us who, is also right there for any movie that just wants to have his character sit down in a room and talk on the phone. You know, like, that's my bread and butter. Um, but because I don't think it always had faith in that, uh, it just became a wish-washy experience. Now, having said all that, I, I do, I did actually enjoy this. I thought it was very muddled, but I enjoyed the acting a lot. I, I love both of the two lead performances um i obviously enjoyed the uh visual uh pain ash on display and i um i gotta say i thought that it was very not predictable but like it was very straightforward in the sense that you know it really just wanted kind of de depicted how this event would just take over two teen two teenagers night one night basically and i and i got very much swept into that and i kind of was glad that it wasn't overblown and it didn't go into a more uh, convoluted narrative, you know? Like, I was worried for a second that it was going to start to tie into, like, the missing babysitter or whatever. You know, like, I thought it was going to be a huge conspiratorial thing, maybe Invasion of the Body Snatchers or something kind of toward the end. And luckily, it mostly just played it straight and it just went all the way to its very kind of almost foregone natural conclusion um, with them no longer listening and now obviously about to i guess experience uh, depending on i guess how you read that final shot if you think that they're just dead or if they were abducted i tend to think the latter um but uh i mean i had a lot of fun with this and i would definitely watch it again but man uh i've said this before about other things but this is one of those classic examples of like god i cannot wait to see the second movie because I just think there's so much talent there. And, you know, like Christopher Nolan made following his first time out, and that movie's not very good. So, you know, <laughs> in my opinion, uh, Andrew Patterson is already, you know, hitting the ground running. And I and there's definitely a lot to like. And I definitely agree um, with Alex in that the two best parts of this movie were those two elongated conversation, which is almost where it gets even more frustrating that it doesn't lean into them a little bit more. I'm not saying it has to be super uninterrupted because I did enjoy some of those nighttime passages of them running from, you know, establishment to building and whatnot. Um, but man, that first conversation over the radio with uh, Billy um, is, is so great. And, you know, that's the other thing. And maybe I was wanting a little bit more because of our current time. But I also thought there was something untapped about that angle there of um, that kind of, uh, racial element because even though Billy gives lip service to it um, the movie kind of then walks away from that I think it introduces it and I'm not saying there was that much more it could have explored because obviously due to the nature of 
how this movie presents its story. But I still think there was at least a little bit more um, that could have been mined from that well. But overall, I thought this was just a fascinating movie. I thought it was very well done, even if it was tonally confused. But it was exhilarating nonetheless for me. So, yeah. The the other scene that I mentioned, the scene with Mabel, yeah. um, the older woman, um, I actually think that is the best scene of the film for oh, me. Really? Yep. I mean, I uh, pretty much agree in the sense that I like both those just about at the top. So, yeah, yeah. I can see that. They're, they're both very good, but there's something about the end of the scene with Mabel that is just absolutely terrific. And it is her in a very vulnerable position where she is begging a, you know, 18, 19 year old man to just not to let her go with him. And it's not like he's a man of prominence. He's just a radio DJ who's caught on to this event that's happening. She's asking him to just utter this phrase when uh, he goes and eventually runs into this paranormal activity that's happening. And the fact that he just stone cold walks away without even uttering a word is honestly so heartbreaking. And yet at the same time, so perfect in a way, because that is just the unfortunately white male in a dominant position angle that has always been taken of not even considering what someone who is beneath them uh, would say. Uh, and it was unfortunately uh, heartbreaking and also exactly what it needed to be. Uh, and it was just privilege. quite a shot. What's that? Yeah. It was, it was fear and privilege. It was, it was what you're, what you're talking about right now. Like, yeah, that that's privilege and, and that sort of regard to be able to hold power over somebody. But I think that like the kid just did not know what to do with the magnitude of, of are we are are you sure because he sought her out um and he went to her house to hear this story right. recorded it and then when he decided that it was too weird for him yeah he stood up and walked away he said so, it was it was too weird for him and he got scared like he 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 he, he went as far as he could and then he just backed off. And it's cruel. But, I, I would but say you it's know cruel. What? If, if, if a white man told him that same story, he would have listened. Uh, and that is Dude, the well. unfortunate part. Oh. Well, he, okay. Well, no, no, but hold okay. on, though, really quick, though. He did listen. Mm -hmm. He just didn't, shall we say, fulfill the, you know, the other the, the other half. Um right. I'm I'm with both of you in the sense that I, I think what you're saying, Alex, is absolutely true in the sense that he's a self-serving person who is basically able to walk away from others uh, due to his kind of lack of empathy uh, for anybody that's not in the same uh, sphere as he is. Um, but I also think that that moment was just as motivated uh, by kind of being a little shell-shocked because... Yes, he sought her out, but he sought her out for good radio. I think unlike Billy, when he went there and got her version, or not even her version, but her story, he was now a full-on, 
even if maybe subconsciously believer. You know what I mean? He he right. walked away from that conversation a changed person, not a change for the better, not necessarily a change for the worse. Um, but in that moment, that was a like almost lockjaw moment of like I can't, I you know does not compute, um, and it's very easy for him to not fulfill other people's you know ideals of him because i'm sure he's always lived his life that way of just like no nope, yeah. me, me first <laughs> yeah yeah one of the other things i appreciate about the ending of that scene though and, and again even though it makes me angry uh it's a great scene um the fact that Faye doesn't like go back and take the note card from her yeah. uh is a great choice because that would have been too easy and too obvious and I like the fact that she just continues to follow Everett uh, regardless. Uh, I appreciate that, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think she's a great character because never throughout the entire movie do I doubt um, Faye as a person and having her own you know, agency and you know, her own strength and inner core, um, but she is always... Uh, a follower when it comes to Everett specifically due to the dynamic of the two. And I found that to be a a fascinating one because it really did kind of tug at her sometimes going through motions that she didn't always agree with and unfortunately didn't have a platform to, uh, you know, disagree with basically. (laughs) I also love the fact that they are in jobs that honestly just do not exist uh, in the modern time. I mean, I know there yeah. are still people who are radio DJs, but it is not. Yeah, but uh, you know, like just Everett go down to the station and be like, you gotta open it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and obviously, switchboard operator is a job that is just not even close to existing in this area, right. of uh, not this area, this time. So, um, and it, it was cool just to see the actual like inner workings of her just moving things around and having the knowledge of where this goes to make this happen. and The muscle memory, the sort of tactility yeah. of, of actually like managing communications that there had to be somebody as the sort of like go between to like allow for, for technology to work before technology could, could work it out itself. Yeah. Um, for real. And I, I also do randomly like that Faye just runs everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's just some about that, like the idea that she's just like, okay, time to run two miles to this house. It's like, yeah. even if she's holding a baby, she fucking jets. <laughs> like seriously, there's no slowing that girl down, which was great. Yeah. Um, I will say too, the other thing is that this movie does not have a lot of time to fill in, you know, fleshed out backstory or um, to really, I think, spout off genuine character details. But we do learn them through a lot of things. And one of that is through their jobs because Faye is a person that is always attempting to bring people together via a switchboard, whereas uh, Everett is obviously a person who loves to hear himself talk and is more concerned with projecting his own voice than he is with really listening to others. And I, I think that those two... Uh, you know, the jobs being a kind of a microcosm for how these characters act in real life and how they bounce off of each other. It's very fascinating. And I thought it was very well uh, visualized in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that my, one of my favorite scenes, I don't think that it's the best scene in the film, but one of the f- scenes that sort of like touched home for me. And I, and I get that a lot of retro sci-fi 
has an equivalent scene to this, but I'm I'm a, still a sucker for it just because I I love the aspirational aspect of, of science fiction of like wondering what if and like speculative like stuff like that. But like when they're they're on the last leg uh, between uh, when Faye and Everett. Uh, Basically, Everett is walking Faye to her job as being like a like a switchboard operator, and it's right before we get to that gorgeous scene where it's like the wide open spaces with like the uh, the hanging lights or whatever. Like right when we're turning onto that, Faye is recounting sort of um, her her fascination with these 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 uh, scientific American sort of esque uh, uh, magazines and talking about what the future will be like and like how people will travel and how people will connect with one another. And of course it ends on the, uh, the sort of knowing, uh, like the sort of no, the, the, the sort of knowing not to the fact of like the, the rise of telecommunications will eventually have mm. like with people, like they'll have like these, Oh, they'll have these things in their pockets and you'll be able to call somebody and if somebody doesn't answer, you'll know they're dead because they always answer. And it's, 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 it's on the nose, but at the same time, it just, it really does just tickles that part in me that just loves that in sci-fi. And that, that, that sort of Dude, like made me grin from ear to ear. I love that too. I actually made a note about that because that line well, you are totally correct that it is a bit on the nose. Uh, yeah. Not quite on the nose. Actually, um, I could totally see anyone from that era saying that, like this aspirational idea of looking to the future and saying everyone will have their own phone number and they'll always pick up because if not, they're going to be dead. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Well, you're kind of right. doesn't say much for humanity, but okay. Yeah. Oh, um, uh, Let's, um, let's talk really quick. Oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, man. Oh, I. This is super important. Uh, I wanted to mention that the most realistic thing that this movie uh, depicts is uh, during the you know bravura wonder uh, that the movie does when it goes into the gymnasium during the basketball game. At one point, you can see a little boy riding a scooter, not giving a fuck about that basketball game, and I felt ah. that. I felt that big time. I, I've been a little brother at sporting events that I could not give a shit about, and I was playing with yo-yos, uh, practically in places where I feel like I should not have been, and i.e. like in front of the bleachers instead of like under them. But uh, yeah, man, I felt that. <laughs> uh, Nick so representation. That's, that's right. That uh, shot and that scene... Uh, with the tracking shot that Toussaint referenced earlier and is obviously uh, something that sticks out in in this film. Um, I really liked it. I feel like the scene in the gymnasium is probably where it's at its peak. Every other part of that I felt like was kind of weird because it's definitely sped up in a way um, and doesn't really grasp everything that's going on with that exact shot. But I did feel like everything that's in the gymnasium was actually fantastic where it just moves back and around and and spins probably three or four times before heading out uh, at the end of it. That was, uh, that was good. I'd agree with that because I think in the sense when it's, when that whole thing starts, like I was certainly impressed, but I was also like, where is this going both literally, but also, you know, 
uh, visually. And so when I get to the gymnasium, I'm like, okay, I get it. This is the, you know, uh, the peak of what it was trying to do. And you probably do need to kind of start out slow to build up to this kind of thing. But it was definitely kind of almost in hindsight, like, yeah, they were even like, we got to speed this up because uh, there's not really much here to this shot. Um, so while I didn't enjoy the sequence as a whole, certainly the I'm with you in the sense that the gym, gymnasium sequence was, or at least part of the sequence, was choreographed in a way that felt uh, almost eerily absent throughout the rest of the sequence. And I kind of get that uh, thematically because, you know, with the title and all, it's trying to show you how while the entire town is uh, magnetically pulled to something like a basketball game, um, there's just an eerie stillness to the night. But does that really get conveyed if you have to, you know, fast forward through that eerie, you know? And um, so, yeah. Okay, now we're just making sound effects. What? Yeah. It's a radio show. Okay. (laughs) It was was weird, though, when you find out that Everett um, changes his name to Howard, and we find out his last name was Stern, and he went on to be a very Uh, prolific. We should do an episode on private parts someday, guys. Should we? What is no. private? What is private parts? Oh boy, that's uh, Howard Stern's kind of auto biopic e type. Hell no. Film kind of ish. No. It's more of a. I mean, I haven't actually seen it, but that's okay. From what I remember, it being the only reason, and I enjoyed it the times I've seen it. The only reason I suggest we do an episode on it. Uh, and this is going off topic here, obviously is that it is a very weird concept of the idea of someone doing their own autobiography in film form uh, and it actually oddly being somewhat entertaining. Uh-huh. So, I don't know. It Again, it's not a requirement. It's not like something <laughs> I'm passionate about, but it's a very weirdly interesting movie. One day, um, that, yeah. Yeah. At the very least, if you want to watch that, I'll watch it. And we should do a double feature with Oliver Stone's movie, Talk Radio, which Mm. stars Eric Bogazian from uh, Secession and Uncut Gems uh, back in the 80s, who plays a shock jock who has one very bad night on the radio. And I fucking love that movie. Mm. Sounds like uh, The Fisher King. Yeah, uh, I like I like there, shock, I like shock jocks getting their comeuppance. Yeah, well, <laughs> actually, I will say this: he's a shock jock who is more self-aware than uh, someone like a Jeff Bridges character. So there is a very there's an undercurrent of sadness as like this is how I can make money, you know, and yet also trying to stand up for certain ideas. It's very interesting. I love that movie. And Eric Bogosian actually wrote it and because um, he, he wrote it for the stage, but Oliver Stone wanted to adapt it. And it's an actually an electric film. It doesn't always feel like a, oh, yeah, this is boring because it's really just a theater piece. Like Anyway. Uh, Before we should... Oliver Stone just only made really soulless movies. Yeah. <laughs> well, when did that start, though? <laughs> I've Late been 90s? 
you said well, late you said late nineties, right? Yeah. Okay, because I was gonna say his president's movies are good. Well, the first two, I mean, mm-hmm. are, are good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about W. <laughs> I know I rented it at a Redbox one time. <laughs> and never watched it? No, I watched it, but I don't remember anything. I just remember renting it more <laughs> than I remember watching it. Wow. It's not It's not good. Yeah. It is not good. It. It is... It tries to, like, go into this comical realm, and it just doesn't work, I don't think. No, I, yeah. can, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. that's... Making uh, making making light of a uh, a guy who dragged us into a into a fucking global conflict. That's great. That's cool. I love it's. I, I love that almost as much as I love uh, notable liberal comedians coming up with fun new nicknames for for Donald Trump. Oh man, they sure got him. <laughs> oh, call him Swampy Don. Oh, I bet that's gonna really rustle his jimmies. Oh, Swampy Don. Who gives a fuck? Oh, okay. sorry. That was that was just a that was a, a sort of non sequitur there. But like, yeah. <laughs> I'll say one of the big winners of the uh, Donald Trump administration is definitely George W. Bush. Yeah, <sighs> that's true. Look at yeah. me eat candy. <laughs> he doesn't deserve to win. <laughs> uh, look at how hard it is to put on a poncho. Yeah. Ooh, I guess uh, just call me Poncho George. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, motherfucker. Well, oh, look, there's pockets. I can put my WMDs in here. Oh. oh. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so what about the final scene? Yeah, um, I'm a fan. Is that, is, that, is, that, is that literal? Because I took it as literal. Oh, yeah. So... Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I um I'm a fan of it. I took it as literal. I took it as a genuine, straightforward abduction. Um and and yet I love the fact that the tape recorder gets left behind. Um mm-hmm. because uh well, A, just that image alone kind of speaks volume of both the movie, but also the um where they're going, there's no need to essentially record it for posterity because it basically transcends any type of, you know, total recall, basically. Uh, so the, the other thing that is weird, and this is a real, like, legit question that I think this film is trying to eat its viewers in a way, is that it's twofold because, A, did they actually get abducted or did they willingly want to go and be where they conditioned to want to go when they were abducted um like was it a long con from the very beginning of the night kind of like this is how we get people in a way yeah i, I actually think that that film's kind of going for it because it doesn't really and this is a critique for sure it doesn't lean in enough to the idea of the aliens or whatever you want to call them conditioning people to believe certain things. There's right. like two minutes of dialogue about it and it's just not enough for it to really be authentic in my opinion. But yeah. I'm, I'm all for the idea of them gaining in on that and then just willingly going with the aliens which is 
makes it even more interesting that she has uh, the baby with her because obviously that baby is not deciding to go. Yeah. I don't know. I think that baby made a choice. (laughs) (laughs) And that, and that baby grew up to be Peter Quill. (laughs) Dude, Peter Quill (laughs) left his dying mom at her bedside. He made a choice. Um, his mom was just dying and already dead, pretty I much. <laughs> I know. Um, Leave that boy alone. <laughs> I uh, don't really want to pull on the thread of that baby's agency in this movie. <laughs> um, oh, no, but I, I'm with you, Alex, in that um, one of the things about this, though, is that the broadcast signal that they first, you know, overhear and are starting to, you know, try to decipher or whatever is really a MacGuffin. Which is interesting because for a movie like this, it's almost rare for that to be so non-essential to the long game of this narrative thread. Um, But I feel like that in and of itself is a slightly obtuse move on the script's part. And I have conflicted feelings about it because I think on the one hand, that's actually kind of great that it's a MacGuffin because it really does play into the characters making these choices for themselves and trying to find meaning in something in which there is none. Um, you know, e- even with the backdrop of the fact that aliens are real, you know, like that broadcast may not have been meant for them. It may not even be broadcast. It could just be feedback. Um, and yet there's human hubris at the center to think that it's somehow A means something or B is meant for you or your race. And I, I think the ending does play into that a little bit, even if I'm with you, that um, certain, you know, things like the conditioning and whatnot are kind of undercooked. I think there's at least, I think it's cooked enough that it's not, it's safe for consumption. <laughs> and I'm, uh, I found it to be, at the very least at that, with the ending, to be pretty great. Because I actually thought the movie was going to chicken out and stop just at them looking at the UFO. And I thought that was going to be pretty weak because that just that is meaningless in and of itself. Um, because seeing the UFO from their vantage point is no different than them listening to a broadcast transmission. So for there to be an actual, even if we can't discern exactly what it means, but for it to become a two, what once was a one-way transmission become a two-way transmission, uh is a perfect note, I think, for the film to end on, even if it is kind of oblique. Good point, yeah. So, uh, uh, final ratings? Well, I, I'm ready. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a uh, little it's movie. It's really not, you know... Yeah. I mean, it's got some big ideas, but it's certainly, uh, you know... Um, it's a little movie, and I don't mean that as a pejorative. So, no, it's a it's a it's a very tight, well made debut little movie that works within the constraints of its of its budget. Actually, I think that it happens to maybe like it it it, put, it punches above its weight class, and, and by means like in terms of its budget, and actually like exceedingly surprisingly whole its own for a little while before like some parts just sort of like fall apart and it's like it's it's very impressive um so so i'll, I'll say this going into my final rating yeah uh, and this is from someone who enjoyed the film 
again, and this could be because I watched the start of it last night and then started over and watched it really early this morning. Uh, I felt like this was kind of a long hour and a half movie. Um, I, I checked a couple times to see where we were, and I was like, ooh, 50 minutes. That's it. So, and that's not anything to take away from it because it is a good film in my opinion, but um, I'm surprised that this only was 90 minutes because it felt a little bit longer than that. That being said, um, I think that this is pretty good and isn't great. And there are certainly some things about it that are weird in terms of choices and character details and obviously uh, structure specifically as it relates to the sci-fi avenue that it's trying to go off of. Uh, but at the same time, um, this is pretty well done. Shoestring budget, first time director, and we get a solid story, well, well done cinematography, pretty good editing actually for a uh, major independent film. And this is just pretty good. So I give it three three out of five and I am intrigued to give it another try. I don't think it lives up to some other small sci-fi films that we've seen. Like, um, even though I don't love primer, um, or, or what's the other one that you really like, Nick? Uh, can't remember the name of the coherence. Right. Yes. Coherence. Um, and even those were less budget, uh, than this had, um, or even something like another earth. Like, I don't think this quite lives up to those films, but at the same time, uh, I'm interested at what uh, the filmmaker is doing here, and I thought this was pretty solid. So three out of five for me for The Vast of Night. Toussaint, uh, you want to go or you want me to go? Yeah, yeah, I can go next. Okay. Um, I will give this a, a three out of five. I think that this is a very... I, I have a lot of ways to compliment this film. Like, I think that it's a very competently well done, uh, like debut production from a, a first time director. I think that it has a lot of parts and some of them, uh, assemble in a way that is more than some of those parts. And while there are also other parts that just sort of like fall, fall out of place, like with the framing device itself, like that, I, I'm still hung up on that. Like, I, I think that like, Nick has a like Nick's explanation is is uh, or his his speculation on it is like it, it it's probably the most cogent and coherent uh, like explanation that I've actually come across and actually sort of like like thought about but yeah it, this this is a, a a a Twilight Zone homage with a Outer Limits script and in that way it's sort of fundamentally at odds with itself. Uh, and its own devices, but I think that, yeah, this is this is a this is a a, a technically well done film with a lot of really great tonal work that maybe doesn't come all the way together, but like I'm, it, it makes me excited to see what this director will will do in the future. I hope that he does more sci- science fiction in the future. So yeah, I give it a three out of five. Yeah, I give this three and a half out of five, mostly because I pretty much, I think we're all in 
sync, I think, in general, as far as our thoughts about the various flaws, but also highlights of this movie. But obviously, this is right in my wheelhouse, so like I'm very at ease when I put something like this on, when it, at the very least, shows a baseline level of competence. And a lot of times in this movie, it showed more than competence. It showed a lot of uh, visual uh, creativity and whatnot. Um, you know, it's funny because even though I've said earlier that, like, what Dusan just reiterated about it being a uh, Twilight Zone knockoff with the Outer Limits script, um, the pilot of the Outer Limits, the episode concerns itself around a guy who works at a radio station who illegally uses the radio station's equipment to try to get a signal from aliens, and he does, and he goes kind of crazy doing it. Um, so it's right there from the very get-go of that show's uh, origins. Anyway, I thought that was funny, because I had to look it up to see if I was just misremembering that. But, uh, yeah, no, I I think there's a lot to love here, um, even if it's a very flawed piece, and I can't wait to see what Andrew Patterson is going to do next. Um, I was very tickled when I saw an interview uh, on the internet. I forgot with what publication, but it was an interview with... Andrew Patterson, the director, and Steven Soderbergh, because apparently Soderbergh is a huge fan of this movie and of Andrew Patterson now in general, and almost in a mentoring like way at this point now. So, oh my God! I know. Take I'm him like under your wing. in yes. Soderbergh, we trust. So um, yes, King. Yes. <laughs> so you know, game recognized game. Uh, so anyway, it's actually a good interview though um, to look up. Uh, it's always fun to see I, I, those kind of, like, uh, buy interviews. I don't know, like, where you're actually interviewing two subjects, but letting them kind of also interview themselves and um, to actually get a real glimpse into how the industry works and not just ask about it. So, uh, yeah, uh, three and a half out of five for me for The Vast of Night. Woo! Well, I have uh, one last, I have one last five. Okay. One last thought. I know that we just did our, our, our final thoughts. Yeah, I mean, that would have so... been the perfect time, but this is like the second most perfect time. So what's up? Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is it with the meaning of the name? Is there any real meaning behind the name itself? Like, oh, it's a dumb it's name. Cool. It's <laughs> okay. Cool. All right. Yeah. Like, is it, I thought, is this supposed to be like a... Like a, a a quote is it supposed to be a reference to something? Because it's like I'm, it, it, it just eluded me. I was like, okay, well, maybe it's just a, a, a fucking cool name, whatever. It eluded Man, Andrew I, Patterson too. So <laughs> I gotta tell you, I and I don't think this is true. I think I would have seen it. I could totally see this having a different name when it was at the Slam Dance Film Festival, and then after Amazon buys, they're like, "This is a good name. Why don't you call it this? Why don't you call it The Irishman?" <laughs> <laughs> I heard I heard you paint houses. Nah, I'm That's gonna call it the Irish. The yeah, gonna... of night sounds more interesting. <laughs> yeah, then of course I think like, all right, but I get final say on whatever's in the movie. Well, yeah, of course. All right, cool. Hey, Thelma, he put still this in the there. Title in there. <laughs> put the put the title in there. And you know what? Yeah. Put it again at the end. Uh, oh yeah, Netflix has no idea what's going on. Nope. <laughs> Although, so, goddamn, really quick, because I don't think we're going to do an episode on it. Netflix, mm-hmm. Defy Bloods, the new Spike Lee movie, 
fantastic. I give it my personal white seal of approval. Oh man. That I've been meaning to watch it. I've heard I've heard good things from people other than you, Nick. So oh, yeah. I would, not that I would, <laughs> not that that I would love it if we could do an episode on you. it. Well maybe but we will one day. I've heard other people saying good things and Spike Lee had a weird time there where he was not making the best films. I feel like he's he's in a bit of a resurgence here recently. For sure. Um and I think for I don't think it's a coincidence either, so it's it's great. Mm. I still think we need to do a, a an episode on twenty fifth hour. Oh yeah, one of these days we will. Yeah. I love that movie. I it's like great, it's great probably movie. it's probably my favorite of, of the of the films that I've actually seen by him. Like and I, I Are you sure it's not the old boy remake? Oh, <laughs> I'm not we're not gonna talk about that. We're not we're not gonna acknowledge that. Um, we don't acknowledge that in this house. Um, we just leave that you leave that politely at the door before you come in and you wipe your feet outside before you track that shit in my home. Oh, that's great. How about you not do that? <laughs> uh, so if you I, there have any thoughts oh. oh, so sorry. I was just gonna say I did rewatch Do the Right Thing, uh like about a month oh, ago. What a good movie! Like every good white ally should, and I <laughs> uh, gotta say, whew, racism still still hot. You should have just you should have just left it at ooh ooh racism. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! That's all I gotta that, say. That visual at the end of Spike Lee and the uh, owner of the pizza, uh, mm-hmm. the pizza place. Uh, in you know the morning sun out with the uh, burned down building behind them. Damn, that's good. Yeah, wow. I think that was my third time watching it, and I bumped it up to a full five stars. It's just, it's fantastic. It's it's a great film. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, so if anyone, oh, oh no, 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 I was just saying. Anyway, <laughs> if anyone out there has any feelings that they would like to let us know about on the best of night. Always feel free to feel feel free to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find all of our episodes on filmtankshow.com, or you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or a bunch of other places at Film Tank Show, including Spotify. It's still a struggle. Oh boy. We don't need yeah. to advertise so, it now that they got Joe Rogan on the payroll. Oh, my God. Oh, he had a tough week. He's had a lot of tough weeks. Did he have a tough That's week? Right. I think so. He had some pretty shitty comment. Well, um, but the, he records every week. Like, isn't that every week? Every week is a shitty no. week. No. He really stepped in it earlier this week, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <sighs> I can't what? remember what this time was, but I'm pretty sure it was related to him and someone else laughing about uh, getting women drunk and then making them sleep with them. So. Wow. Oh. Dude, read the fucking room. Oh, boy. <laughs> like, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't have been okay, like, any day, but, like, a holy fucking shit. That's well, Spotify. Well, reading the room has never like, been a strength for him. Yeah. <laughs> what were we going to say next? No, I was just saying, I'm, I'm sure Spotify is just delighted. Well, I mean, you have to think. They gave him so much money to do this. 
you know, like, what what would they be expecting if not to make headlines, so. He's like the fucking pootie pie of, of, uh, of Spotify now. culture-ish, in a way. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. God. Well, uh, looking forward, not exactly sure what our next episode is going to be, but looking forward to joining everybody coming up here on episode 236. And from Toussaint Egan, Nick Cheney, and myself, Alex Diekman, as always, thank everyone for listening to us here at Film Tank Show, and we will catch up with you next time. <laughs>